Alyssa, we're back with our second episode in June. I feel like we were just here. It does. You know, June feels like such a short month. Somehow. Uh, somehow. Um, this is the second in our series focusing on current recruitment and retention challenges. Uh, we are so excited to talk uh, with a research perspective and talking mm -hmm. with um, Dr. Matthew Samuel about his research project, which dovetails so nicely into this topic. Matt is, I'll, I'll just jump in and share this. I shared it last time, but Matt's one of our faculty advisors for the Johnson & Whale Providence student chapter. Um, he's a longtime member of CMAA and, and a great contributor to um, our research efforts. And, and today we're going to sit down and chat with him a little bit about, as you know, we, we talked last week about personal organization fit and organizational culture um, and how those two things fit particularly within um, the club industry specifically. And uh, Matt's going to dive in and give us a very good breakdown of his research. And um, it's, it's chock full of great information. And we will share all of that with you uh, once it becomes available to us. So um, please stay tuned and enjoy our conversation with Matt. Matthew Samuel holds a PhD in organization and management with a specialization in human resources and a certified senior professional in human resources. His focus of study is in organizational culture and person organization fit. He teaches at Johnson and Wales University in the College of Hospitality Management Center for Food and Beverage Management and serves as the advisor to the CMA student chapter. He has operational training and human resources work experience in a variety of industry segments, including hotels, independently and corporately owned restaurant organizations and private clubs. He recently completed the Private Club Culture Study, Organizational Culture and Person Organization Fit, Predictors of Job Satisfaction in Private Clubs. And this was completed in conjunction with the CMA Research Committee and through a grant from the Club Foundation. We are so excited to talk with Matt today and dive into how to use the private club culture to recruit and retain employees, as this continues to be the most significant challenge that our industry is facing. So thank you so much for joining us, Matt. We are so excited to, to continue this conversation. Well, thank you, Melissa and Kyle. It's great to be here. Um, I also want to thank the Club Foundation and the, uh, member, the member academic committees and the staff for uh, the generous grant and also um, for their patience because we actually uh, we actually distributed the survey and and, um, and got the responses uh, pre-pandemic and then you know things kind of got out of hand and it, it took a little while to get some of the analysis done but it's done and it's exciting and I really hope that it's um, helpful for the uh, for the uh, members of the organization. Um, I also would like to thank my colleague, Dr. Paul Boyd uh, at uh, Johnson Wales, who assisted with the statistical analysis. So as we as we all know, we never take on projects and do these alone. So everybody everybody has their part. But I'm excited to talk about um, the study. Um, I just wanted to kind of go over the purpose of the study so that I, so your uh, um, I almost said readers or listeners <laughs> um, um, can. Uh, can understand uh, how it fits into what they do on a daily basis. So the idea was to identify the um, type and strength of existing employee, employment relationships in the private club uh, industry sector um, specifically. We do studies like this in every sector. I did one previously uh, using the same methodology in um, 
uh, grocery st grocery stores, supermarkets, and people have been doing it at restaurants and hotels. So um, I'm I, I think this is one of the first studies of its kind done um, in employment in private uh, clubs. So I think that's exciting to, for uh, future researchers to build upon. So the idea was to to examine the extent um, if um, if uh, if there was an identifiable culture that existed in the private industry private club industry that was different from the other industry segments and to identify the values and behaviors that define the culture if it exists and to test how strongly the employees in that segment um, felt about the values and behaviors and then to take those values and behaviors and to measure the influence on three factors, job satisfaction, intent to remain within the industry segment, and the willingness to recommend the industry uh, to, to join uh, working in private clubs. And the last part of the study, um, which I think is the most exciting actually, <laughs> is to provide the members of your organization um, some type of uh, course of action to, to act upon what the results of the study said uh, when they attempt to recruit and retain employees. Um, obviously, where we are now is um, way different than before the pandemic. But yeah. as, as I talk about this, um, you know, I felt prior to the pandemic that, that the private club industry really had a distinct culture. And maybe the managers, when they thought about um, recruiting and retention, were thinking about it too generally. And they been speaking um, to a disadvantage when they were talking to an employee they might have been focused on facilities or the club itself or or other things that they talked about that other industry segments also talked about so uh, some of the findings really kind of uh, differentiate that yeah. um, so also a lot of um, people are always interested who was involved in the study we actually had uh, 333 respondents to the survey, so good, um, good sample. Um, they were predominantly male between the ages of 46 and 60, uh, married, employed for uh, five years or less at their current club, which was um, something we'll get to a little later. Um, Well-educated, meaning uh, they held a bachelor's degree or higher, um, identified with working at uh, club type, quote, uh, country club, um, primarily located in Northeast, Southeast, and Midwest, uh, working an average of 52 hours and indicating that their immediate previous employer was also a club. So all of that um, hopefully would become available when we uh, publish the study so you can look at those uh, numbers a little bit uh, closer. So I just wanted to talk about culture before we got into the results a little bit. Yeah. Because I see the I see the term culture used all the time. <laughs> and you know, as, as Melissa said in the introduction, um, I when I hear that word, I start listening intently because it is kind of my area of focus. And and um I've heard it also used. Uh, by your by your managers and published in other studies within your organization. And I think it's really important to understand that when we talk about culture from a academic standpoint uh, for research, that that we're very, very careful on how we describe that. 
So I've come up kind of with a definition over the years uh, based on previous research and, and my own that we talk about cultures being defined as a system of shared assumptions and values and beliefs that regulate acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Um, and it's not automatically developed or created or assigned. That, you know, I see that in other organizations. My example is always the restaurant chains. Like we have these big chains of restaurants that have multiple concepts. And within that multiple concept, they're saying they have a mission statement, a core value and a different culture. Well, I find that really hard to believe in terms of it being significant when I might be an employee that works 20 hours in one concept and 20 hours in the other concept. It may be forward thinking and forward facing, but I'm not sure it, it, it really drives down to the employee level. Is the employee's behavior gonna be different when they're working the shift at one concept versus another concept? And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about daily behaviors um, that in this case help to align uh, the mission of an individual club, although we did, we study the entire uh, club industry segment, and that's gonna be useful, um, and what the acceptable norms and values are. But these emerge over time. And I really think that is a big advantage to the club industry segment, because a lot of these these clubs have been in existence for long periods of time. So these acceptable norms and behaviors have been well established mm -hmm. um, because they emerged. And I, I witnessed this on, on, one of, on the faculty internship um, that I went on through CMAA, where I watched another employee correct a fellow employee's behavior with no management intervention. Well, that just doesn't happen. I mean, there was a policy where they weren't supposed to be using cell phones and one employee went to the other and said, you can't do that here. And I listened to what the actual words were and they said the manager's name and they said that person would be very disappointed in your behavior. That, that is a strong, shows strong evidence that a, that a culture exists. So that's the kind of thing that, that we get excited about as academics and, and study. Um, so it's really when we get down to it an organ and this is from my findings that an organizational culture is nurtured and shaped by the ability of its participants in this case employees could be members could be anybody within the club organization with uh, the ability of its participants to be heard recognized celebrated and made to feel safe if you can get those four elements down um, you can start establishing a culture. Um, so in terms of the uh, study, um, the idea for the uh, um, practicality of it, sure. when recruitment and retention programs are designed and implemented around these shared value systems that I just spoke about, they are highly effective and, and sustainable. So those are the two things I think managers are looking for. Um, you know, we, we are discussing nowadays that there aren't enough employees to, uh, to fill the positions. Everybody's got that same problem. So as an HR person, I'm thinking, okay, that still means there's employees out there that are looking for work. Absolutely. So they just need to work on the closure rate. Out of 10, how many are they actually going to hire and what are the advantages? How do you do that 
based on the data that, that we get from the study. And that's kind of where, where I'm going. So results of the study, and this is kind of from the academic standpoint, and then we'll get into the, the details. Um, there is a significant relationship between in this, with the 333 respondents, between individual values and the culture that, that is defined. There's also a significant relationship um, between what we term person organization fit. The people that, that responded, their employees within the organ, within um, CMAA, their CMAA members and employees um, at, at clubs. Um, there's a good fit between the people who are already existing and what this club culture is defined as. And then there's a um, strong, strong significant relationship between this fit, the, these, these existing employee groups, and their willingness to um, stay employed within the segment, um, uh, their satisfaction rate, and their willingness to recommend uh, the club industry segment to other employees outside the organization. So basically what we asked, what we did for the study is we asked uh, um, a series of questions about the private club work environment. They were first asked to rate um, rate the question based on how they perceived what the, what actually existed in, in their world at the club. And then they were asked to rate the same um, uh, question on how important they thought it would be for the ideal work environment. So it's two sets of, of questions, the same questions. We just wanted them to think about, okay, in your world, how important is this? And in the perfect world, how yeah. important is this? Because yeah. we need the two sets of numbers to do, to do the analysis. So drum roll. <laughs> so what, uh, what was really interesting, because um, I've done, as I said, studies like this in, in other industry segments, um, the correlation rates between the um, perceived and preferred uh, culture were began to align pretty strongly, which didn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. um, not exactly, though. So within the perceived, the actual environment and the preferred, the ideal, um, six factors emerged in the perceived and five in the preferred. And what we mean by a factor is, so the series of questions, um, when you do the factor analysis, kind of coalesce into groups. And then we name the groups. So factor one, as an example, for the perceived uh, or the actual environment uh, were, were um, items that had to do with team and result-focused relationships. Factor two, trust, fairness, focus, and communicating with employees. Uh, factor three, career and compensation, which we typically see in surveys like this. Um, four, innovation and risk-taking. Five, valuing member focus. And six, and this was a new element I ad actually added some questions because I was interested in pursuing this, was civility, workplace oh. behavior expectations. So um, not that I didn't expect that in, we, we would expect that to be important in a work environment, regardless of segment. But when we looked at the factor loading, the actual number we used to measure and test this, it was, it was very high. Um, and so on the preferred, the ideal, um, similar results, not necessarily in the same ranking, but I also in the study um, uh, created a chart that um, listed 
the alignment of them. So if we look at, at um, the behaviors and values within the factors as an idea, because I think that's, that's kind of what we'll get at in terms of what, what and how you would speak to an existing employer or, or when recruiting. So things like a willingness to experiment, talking about advancement opportunities, appropriate language at work, cooperation with uh, coworkers, dignity, emphasis on quality service, equitable pay, fair compensation, giving members what they expect, high pay for good uh, performance, honesty, innovation, integrity, personalized career development, which we're also gonna talk about a little bit later, politeness, relationship with members, uh, respect for individual rights, uh, trust, truthfulness, those types of behaviors are really what, if you could focus as a manager on talking about those aspects, I think that closure rate of actually hiring the right fit mm -hmm. person, you would be much more highly successful with. So the other thing, and I put this, I put this in big red letters for, so this is new to your listen, your listeners. I didn't include it in the initial findings. I was, I was, I was really so far behind in actually producing something that, that your staff was like, you know, you really need to get something. Come on, so, Matt, I, get us something. I, I, was like, <laughs> I, I was, well, I, I was helping Boris with his, uh, <laughs> that's what I did for that year. So we, I, I really enjoyed doing that. So, um, so when we got to the uh, regression analysis, that's mm -hmm. kind of the second second part of that. I mentioned uh, um, job satisfaction, <coughs> intent to remain, and willingness to recommend. So often we see surveys and studies um, that are out there, and they're really frequency based. Meaning, and and I think that's important for your listeners to understand how many times it occurred. Mm -hmm. That's what you typically see in survey results. When you do statistical analysis, it's 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 a much more uh, in-depth mathematical. So it's not we think this, we feel this. Sure. This is a mathematical analysis. So yeah. when we did the re regression analysis for those uh, variables of job satisfaction, intent to remain, willingness to re recommend within this participant group, length of employment was important. Not not a huge surprise, but when we look at the looked at the factors, the actual factor two and three, trusting and fairness, uh, focused values, and the career and compensation mm -hmm. advancement. So factor three doesn't really surprise me. We, when you're no. talking to to um, um, someone about employment, compensation is always a discussion. But career advancement, if I if you dig into the individual values and behaviors within that. Um, these are frontline discussions I would have if I were a manager with potential employees. So not what you're looking for in a job. Here's what the club industry, regardless of what, remember, we did this for, for the industry. Doesn't, doesn't matter what club, right? If, if I'm a manager and I'm talking about, talking about potential employees or now retaining current employees, you know, focus on trust. Fairness, uh, uh, focus values, and career development. If I'm an existing employee, and then compensation within 
with advancement, you know, a defined career track. And, and you know, I've seen that, you know, the club industry and individual clubs do that very well. I've seen that through internships, seen that through other programs. But when we look at the practicality, if I were, if I, as I am, speaking to your management group, um, so using the terminology and phrasing as indicated by the similarity factors and the component items that are listed, I have charts that, that your, your uh, managers uh, uh, will be able to see, um, and using that um, when they speak in alignment with recruitment, onboarding, orientation, training, career, coaching, promotional activities, whatever they're already interacting with with employees, if they just shift what they're saying a little bit, I think that will have huge impact, or the study suggests that, that it will have a huge impact on things like closure rate, getting, getting the employee that's going to fit better, and, and really having more to talk about than the job and the facility. The other thing I'd suggest is consider reviewing uh, mission statements, core values, to see if they actually align with the similarity factors that the, that the study revealed. Um, I think the, you would be, they would be surprised, especially clubs that are well-established, mm -hmm. that a lot of this is already there. Um, but I think the other part of it is, although we talk about the individual club culture and how well it's established, I think they tend to talk about it more on the member side and less on the employee side. And, and I can remember talking to a manager who asked me the question, how do I get a banquet manager or a bank, I'm sorry, a banquet employee server, a part-time employee to understand the culture of a club and how important that is and putting silverware down isn't important. That's a great question. I'm working on it. <laughs> right? and, then, and that's what this talks about. So the, my other, my next suggestion would be um, to examine employee-related materials, manuals, employment, advertisements, signage, anything that appears in the employee area, any, any artifact you're using to try to communicate behavior and go back to these, these um, item factors. And I, I can tell you based on past um, studies that just the change, just the change in, in the terminology, or maybe it's a picture, you want them to do X, but how do you communicate that Y so they understand, right? I can remember back in the day when I was a server and there was this big smiley face on the door before you went out into the dining room. All right, that worked, or there was a mirror. I worked at a place there was a mirror that says, check your face, <laughs> right? I mean, some of these things, I, I didn't understand at the time why they were doing it, but you know, at that, at that daily, everyday level, that's really where culture's testing and behaviors and values are tested. So I, the, I'll end with this, because this is what I started with. And then if you have some follow-up questions, love, love to, sure. to help you with that. So I would ask the man, this is, I have this under big takeaway. Um, <laughs> so if you are a manager listening to this, I would ask you, is your club's culture defined by a system of shared assumptions, values, and beliefs that regulate acceptable and unacceptable behaviors? 
cultures are not automatically developed, created, or assigned. They're not formed by a set of mandated rules and regulations to be followed. They emerge through an intense focus and observation of expected and acceptable norms and behaviors over time by allowing the participants, those are, in this case, this is your employees, to be heard, recognized, celebrated, and made to feel safe. If they, and we know this through management, if they're involved in the decision-making, they have buy-in. I get that. This is stronger than that. This is, and, and I'll end with this example. I can remember when I was working at a, in a, at a club and a really good friend of mine who uh, we were doing a golf event and at the turn, uh, we were setting up lunch. So they came into the club, it was just round tables set up and there were box lunches. So they're coming in and getting their lunch and going or sitting and eating and then going. And I can remember um, another employee waving a manager over to them. Happened to be the wrong, uh, I'm sorry, waving a member over to them. Happened to be the wrong member, right? House committee chair and owned his own restaurant and, and you know, it wasn't a big deal. It was kind of a casual uh, uh, event. Got terminated the next day. Wow. Unacceptable behavior. You never wave in this in this environment. This particular event in in this one club it was unacceptable to wave a member to you. You had to go to the member and either escort them or direct them. Right? Unheard of in any other industry segment. But you know that that's an extreme example. But those are the kinds of things that are harder to instill in, in employee behavior than, than competency, as an example. So I think I'm out of time. I might have even gone on. <laughs> no, I don't know, that was wonderful. Yeah. I apologize, but it's difficult. It's difficult to explain, but I hope it has value. And I'm hoping to be able to provide that um, in some type of written form uh, in the future for for your uh, organization. Absolutely, Matt, thank you so much for sharing this. I think um, the conversation around culture in the workplace is one that uh, Melissa and I have had on several occasions, but we've had internally among the CMA staff for several years. Um, and it, and we know it's a topic of conversation among our members as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's an evergreen conversation because I think um, to your point, Culture is something that evolves over time, um, and it's not. You can't just say this is our culture and then make it happen. <laughs> it's it's a result of learned behaviors and personalities and and management styles, and it can change. Um, but it can be very complicated to change it. It, it can be challenging and difficult. Um, so I think that your research around you know, asking employees, you know, what are things that you value? What would you like to see in an ideal workplace? And how would you as the employee like to be valued in that space is really important. And I think will be applicable to our managers, but I think more broadly, I mean, these are the types of questions that all employers should probably be asking of, of themselves and how they run their organizations. I mean, I think it's incredibly important to, to say like, okay, well, how, how do we make sure that our employees feel valued and safe? <laughs> 
while at the same time upholding, you know, our mission or what we want our culture to be perceived as. So I think this is really fantastic. And I think that your your study goes really deep into the weeds on how that can happen. Um, and I think it'll be super helpful for our for our members to to dive into. So thank you for sharing all of this today. It's really fascinating. I love talking about like company culture. I think it's super interesting and the psychology behind it is fascinating. So like we can talk about this anytime you want. Well, thank you very much. No, and it, and I I realize as a as a um, as an academic, primarily an academic, but a scholar practitioner, that you know the studies are complicated and they take a long time to to um, um, be published. But some of them, depending on topic, you know, are applicable forever. Yep. Right. I mean, as you state, uh, you know, cultures. I like to say cultures doughy. Mm -hmm. No, it just it, it it's elastic. It changes over time. And and you know, I'm not an, I'm not advocating throwing out the HR manual and rules. <laughs> I'm just advocating looking at it a little differently because uh, mainly because the you know we're dealing with a new generation of workers. There's a lot more diversity in the workforce, mm -hmm. and you know these standardized practices just are not going to survive, and and resonate with the diverse employee group that your managers are going to have to hire. I mean, Absolutely. it's just not it's not sustainable. No, I mean society has evolved over time too, and and as a society, we value different things um, than we did. 25 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, whenever some of these, like 100 years ago, when these some of these clubs were established, things have changed so much societally. Um, so that's what I mean when I say like more broadly, these are things that that we should probably all be examining. Um, you know, like what what types of things that are we prioritizing um, for our cultures in the workplace? So yeah, I think it's fascinating, Matt, and I think you've done a fantastic job. And I know that our members will certainly value what you've put out. And we look forward to seeing it and sharing it with them. Well, I thank you again for inviting me. I always love, love to help the organization, but, um, uh, and I'm grateful that the, uh, that CMAA values uh, um, research. I, I think we don't, I, I don't think we talk about that enough as a value point within, within your organization and access to the studies and the fabulous white papers and, and the and the studies your own uh, MCMs have done are just phenomenal. I mean, I know I talk about that back on campus, but um, you know, I think that that's that's a a value point for the organization that that maybe doesn't get as highlighted as often. Yeah, we heart we heartily agree with that. Melissa Melissa is on a one woman like mission to push all of our MCMs monographs. So like that's been a, one of our big focus year and well like over the last year and a half i guess so um you, you mentioned boris earlier yeah, yeah we did <laughs> his, his piece on orientation is, is phenomenal and we were excited to have him as a guest uh when that first came out yeah absolutely yeah, melissa great. do you have other questions for matt i don't there's just so many great nuggets in this and, mm -hmm. and and matt i really i i think diving into when you talked about all those cultural factors and really that it's so much more than compensation. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have a very old model, I think, in, in terms of, of, of across employers and, and not just specific to the club industry of that focus on, well, you know, I'm offering this compensation and 
um, you know, that's that's that should be enough. And and really thinking about the multi-factor decision, you know, that are that individuals are making today to kind of choose to pick an employer of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and this is something that we're we're talking about um, in both of our June episodes this uh, this month uh, because that's so important. And you know, our clubs have to be thinking much more strategically about this process than just simply, you know, I'm hiring an yep. individual, I'm hiring a lifeguard, I'm hiring a server. There's a lot more to that decision and that process. Well, I think Melissa yeah. hit the nail on the head. You said it's more than compensation. I mean, as I was saying before, society has changed. Our values have changed. We're moving away from this grind culture of like the only thing to value about your job is how much you get paid and it's like well no I'm a whole human and (laughs) and I want to make sure that when I go to work every day I'm not just a cog in a machine you know that that I my personal experience in my job is is positive and is one that I enjoy and I value as an employee and not just that i complete a task and can leave at the end of the day with some money in my pocket. You know, we're, we're kind of moving past that idea. Um, and I think that it's important to, yeah, consider, consider, you know, how can we create a work, a workplace an environment that fosters personal growth and development and not just a paycheck. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation and it's multifaceted for sure. So. And I know, so the, the managers I've had interaction with over the years, um, you know, that not necessarily just the alums, um, they always talk about that. The mm-hmm. pay will be there. I don't want to talk about pay. I don't want to talk about compensation. I want to talk about why you want to get into the yep. club environment. Right? Yep. Especially with students, uh, they're, you know, you get somebody like Joe Cran or James Resig, you know, uh, or um, who is um, uh, Kristen LeCount, mm-hmm. right? They, they know. <laughs> that 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 they're they're more than competitive with those with with compensation and 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 um and what the uh what they're going to get in terms of benefits mm-hmm. they want to know because they're going to spend a lot of money investing in education and other things that you know this is a person that took the time to learn about the club environment right so i think the students obviously that, that we have who are same age uh, chapter members are an advantage. But how do you have that conversation with, you know, somebody that uh, responded to a blind act? Yeah. yeah. Right. right? Yeah. It's hard. It, I mean, and, and I think as you guys talked about tradition, you know, so what does the manager do that maybe not savvy at interviewing? Right. They're going <laughs> to the, the website and they're getting the 10 standard questions. And it's a complete waste of time because uh-huh. there's so much more to talk about with private clubs. I mean, they just based on on the results of studies, just the tiny shift in what you're gonna say and how you're gonna say it, I, I really think could make a big difference in in successful hiring and retention. I mean, I think that would be kind of a shift. Uh, that's a little bit harder, I think, because your manager, you've, you've already known these employees, now all of a sudden you're acting or saying things a little differently. Yeah. It, it's hard. you gotta, you got yeah. to do it in little doses. You don't want them to think something happened. Here, right? For sure. Well, right. I think that's a good point. Language matters, right? The, the words that we choose to use to communicate with each other matter. So it's important to be thoughtful and intentional about the the way we speak and the and how we choose to describe the behaviors we want to foster in our workplaces. So 
perfect points all all so i think that that'll wrap us up because i feel like we could probably carry on with this conversation for a lot longer and uh, perhaps you know we could probably have you back on matt to continue this because as i said it's an evergreen issue and uh you know it's important to to revisit and discuss but for now um matt thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with you again all right. Well, that was a great conversation. I know I learned a lot and I love to talk culture anytime we get the opportunity to do so. Um, but for for now, we have a few quick announcements to share with you all. Um, first and foremost, exciting news. The 2022 Business Management Institutes are now open for registration. And we know that these classes tend to fill up quickly. Um, so you really want to register soon. Uh, you can register for any of the BMI programs online. Um, you can go to cmaa.org and find our education tab and go to the in-person option because these are going to be back in person and we are so excited to, again, welcome you back together. Um, if you have any questions about registering for a BMI or maybe which BMI you should take next, please contact our professional development department with those questions. They will be happy to walk you through any of your concerns. And speaking of BMIs and professional development, um, did you know that we have several fall scholarship deadlines coming up? Because <laughs> there are a lot. And these scholarships offered to you from by the Club Foundation can help you fund your personal professional development with CMAA. Um, starting in September, on September 1, the Sally Burns Rambo Scholarship will be due. And then two months later, November 1st, we have the LaRocca Family Executive Scholarship and the Wilmore H. Kendall Scholarship. The Kendall Scholarship is a huge boon to anyone who is beginning their journey toward becoming a CCM. Um, it provides significant funding for those BMI programs, and I really implore you to take some time and look into that. If you are beginning your journey toward your certification, check out that Kendall Scholarship and what those requirements are for application, because it could really, really launch you um, further down that path. And then finally, on December 1st, the James B. Singerling Scholarship is due. Um, applications for that scholarship will be due. That scholarship provides um, someone an opportunity to go to World Conference for the first time if they'd never attended before, which is, again, a great boon if you are somebody who is working toward your CCM and you need that conference requirement. Um, this is a great way to get it. And again, I highly encourage you to take some time, look at those uh, scholarship applications. If you've been a scholarship recipient, but you know of somebody who would be a great fit for one, please share that information with them. You can find all information about these scholarships, the application deadlines and the requirements online uh, um, on the Club Foundation's um, page. So you can find that from cmaa.org, heading over to our Connect tab and clicking on the Club Foundation, or you can simply go to clubfoundation.org. Great stuff. Don't let, the, don't let those deadlines pass you by. No. <laughs> so coming up, we hope you are aware of your opportunity to gather, celebrate, and learn at the upcoming 2021 Club Spa and Fitness Association's annual conference. They are headed to the beautiful club at Admirals Cove in Jupiter, Florida, August 25th and 26th. We are very jealous. Focusing on our time to shine, the fantastic schedule offers education sessions, networking opportunities, a partner showcase, a keynote address, and more. And they've just announced the, the slate of education sessions, and they're great. So head on over to Club 
to the to their website, which is CSFA Association. Um, to get more information, there are special rates for CSFA members and CMA members. So we can't wait to gather, celebrate, and learn together live and in person after the challenges of last year. So learn more, check out the schedule, and register today. As well, we want to remind you that um, CMAA's annual Finance and Operations Survey has just launched. Um, in the last week and you should have received if you are the uh, highest ranking member at your club an invitation to participate in the survey this is the first of many communications that will uh, remind you to participate in the survey um, through the 16th of July so you know we that the our research team has done an amazing job to make this process and completing your survey as easy as possible, as well as to create customized reporting tools for you and your staff. Um, and you can find out more information at cma-research.org. And so new this year, GGA Partners has volunteered to map participating club's chart of accounts, um, which is gonna really reduce the amount of time spent entering information into the survey. You can find more information on the resource portal, as well as if you're a previous participant, um, you can copy forward all that historical data um, as a starting point uh, to make the process much, much easier. And you're also available to complete this online or via an Excel form that may be completed offline and then uploaded to the system. So, um, you know, the great thing about this is that all members of CMA will receive a copy of the executive summary, but everybody that participates in the survey will receive a copy of the full industry report along with an individualized club report, um, as well as a new online report card feature. As well, if you're a subscriber to the Club Resource Center, you actually get access to the online data analytics tool. Um, which allows a club to compare their data to up to five peer groups and create customized aggregations of the survey results. We know data analytics are huge in our industry right now. We know you need data to make decisions at your club. We know your boards are clamoring for data. So this is a great opportunity by participating in the survey to get uh, access to the full report as well as that new online report card feature. So definitely check it out. Head to cma-research.org to get started. It's a lot of good information. <laughs> it, really is. it really is. And and so we get so much, you know, such great perspective out of that data. Absolutely. And and if you're like me and you're not a data head in that quite that way, it can seem very overwhelming when people start talking about some of those more nuanced factors. <laughs> but the great thing about these research reports is that they're broken down in very digestible ways. So even if you're a goober like me, it's very easy to read through and understand and, and take away important points um, that you can turn around and apply to your own um, management practices. So as Melissa said, that is available to you, cmaresearch.org. All Absolutely. right. I think that wraps us up for the month of June. Uh, it's been fast and furious here in podcast land this month, but we, we got it done under the wire. <laughs> And we're looking forward to coming back um, in July. Melissa, what do we have on the docket for July? Cool. So I'll give you a couple teasers. We are going to talk with our friends at CSFA, the Club Spawn Fitness Association, and talk about uh, trends and what's coming up for them. And we're also going to, to get 
um, another research report. Uh, CMA collaborated with our partners at GGA Partners on a club leader perspective trends report. Um, and that just, just was released and we can't wait to dive into the details and share that with all of our listeners. Absolutely. Like I said, we've got, we've got a lot of things coming down the pike and we are looking forward to sharing all of that information with you. Um, but until then, my name is Kyle. That's Melissa. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Club Management and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Take care, friends. Bye-bye.